right, we'll open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue our great study on prayer. I pray that this study has been an encouragement uh, and to you and your walk. Uh, today we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about praying uh, for his kingdom uh, to be done here on earth. So I'm going to read actually the entirety of the Lord's Prayer, but today we're going to focus just on part of verse 10, which is the second petition of the Lord's Prayer. Hear the word of the Lord, Matthew 6, starting at verse 9. Pray then in this way, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. One of the greatest theologians of all time was named Jonathan Edwards. You may recognize the name. He's most known for his, some of his works, such as his resolutions, which I have hanging on my wall. Uh, his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, Freedom of the Will, uh, and religious affections are some of his most known works. One of his lesser known works was called A Humble Attempt to Promote Explicit Agreement and Visible Union of God's People in Extraordinary Prayer for the Revival of Religion and the Advancement of Christ's Kingdom on Earth Pursuant to Scripture Promises and Prophecies Concerning the Last Time. Yeah, that was actually the whole title of his work. It was written uh, in 1747. <clears throat> in this work, Edwards was calling for a formal <clears throat> international agreement for regular scheduled prayer meetings for spiritual awakenings, either as churches, societies, uh, families, privately, uh, publicly, on Saturday evenings or Sunday mornings. It was a very specific thing he was calling for and he got this based upon Scotland had these concert of prayers where they had literally formal agreements where they all would sign and agree that they would meet in a certain time and a certain place to pray for spiritual revival. Uh, this was written uh, during a time where there was actually spiritual darkness. It had been uh, more than a decade since the uh, Great Awakenings. And Edwards believed, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, but the spiritual darkness was happening both in the colonies here in America and in England. Churches were dividing. Uh, ministers were beginning to be looked upon with contempt. Rome and the Ca Roman Catholic Church had been advancing her encroachment upon Protestantism and efforts to convert England back to Roman Catholicism, along with a massive uh, persecution of the Huguenots in France. And the Huguenots were uh, the Reformed uh, Calvinists in France. But despite the downturn in the religious affections of that time, Edwards believed that Christ was actually still building his church and that he would build his church in such a way that it would spread across the entire world and it would continue to grow to the point to where all the world would bow the knee to Christ. Edward believed that the widespread preaching of the gospel would be how Jesus Christ would grow his kingdom on earth in a very visible way and that Christ's second coming would be to consummate his kingdom, not to establish it. 
and then to give it back to the Father, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. See, his view was that Christ came and established his kingdom at his first coming. And he believed that the Genesis, what would start this uh, or continue this worldwide spread of the gospel, this worldwide revival, what would start it in his day was that God's people would be purposeful in praying for it. In his work, A Humble Attempt, he cites the Lord's Prayer as the fuel for us to pray with this great optimism that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. He called it this glorious day. And this glorious day where such revival would spread across the entire world and we'd enter this age where Jesus is reigning in a very visible way here on earth. He says in this work, quote, So that the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer are in effect no other than requests for the bringing on this glorious day. And as the Lord's Prayer begins with asking for this uh, in the three first petitions, so it also concludes with these words, For thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Which words imply a request that God would take to himself his great power and reign and manifest his power and glory in the world. Thus Christ teaches us that it becomes his disciples to seek this above all other things and to make it the first and the last in their prayers and that every petition should be in subordination to the advancement of God's kingdom and glory in the world, end quote. Well, if you know anything about history, Edward's work was not that enthusiastically received. With religious activity and interest being at an all-time low in his day, evil seemed to be prevailing. Many thought that Edward's theology in this work was fanatic or too optimistic and that it would just never happen. So his intention in this work failed and never gained traction for, uh, at that time, at least. I see us living in as a similar day in the context where Edwards wrote his book. We see evil prevailing all around us. Uh, we see the desire for true biblical truth and the desire for Christ waning. It's at an all-time low. The Christian church is continually compromising. We came in see a defined Christian church anymore because it's been so muddied by evil and by compromising and by the culture. Just this last week, I don't know if you saw this or not, but the number one album on iTunes in the contemporary Christian genre is an album by a man who transitioned to a woman and is now a drag queen. The number one album on iTunes for contemporary Christian music. So what do we make of all this? What do we, what do, we do? We see evil prevailing. We see uh, being evil being called good and good being called evil. What should the Christian church do? We see less and less people seeking for biblical truth. We see more people seeking for things that tickle their ears. So what do we as the Christian church do? Do we just give up, throw in the towel? We see the, the downward trend of the culture. Uh, do we just give up? I mean, are we just headed towards defeat? 
what should we do? Well, I believe Jesus here in our text today uh, commissions his disciples to look past the current day's evils and make the advancement of the gospel, the advancement of Christ's kingdom, a priority in our prayers. Just as Jonathan Edwards made it a priority in his prayers despite the evil culture of the day, we ought to have that same optimism that Jesus will build his church, that he will advance his kingdom, and we ought to make it a priority in our prayers. So let's look at our text. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, and all we're looking at today is your kingdom come. Those three words. Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, he establishes how we ought to address God in our prayers. He is our Father. We are his adopted sons. We give, name, we give honor and glory to his name. Uh, in the first petition, we seek that the name of the Lord would be hallowed, the name of the Lord would be exalted and honored. And now we come to the second petition where we pray, Thy kingdom come, your kingdom come. One thing that I've noticed about these petitions, there seems to be a very logical order that Jesus has with these petitions. Uh, When the name of the Lord is hallowed, when the name of the Lord is put back in its rightful place and it's honored and revered, then we see the Lord Jesus' kingdom here on earth. And remember that at the end of verse 10, he says, as it is on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying that the Lord's will would be done, that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. The name of the Lord is praised, exalted, and honored in heaven. Amen? We pray that the Lord uh, would do the same here on earth, that all men everywhere would revere the name of the Lord on earth. Christ's kingdom is a reality in heaven, right? He sits upon his throne. Uh, Angels bow down to him. He has all rule and authority, and it's very visible and it's very real in heaven. We're praying that the Lord would do the same on earth as it is in heaven. So we pray, your kingdom come, thy kingdom come. But what does it really mean? What are we to make of this petition? What does it mean when we ask the Lord for his kingdom to come? The Boys and Girls Shorter Catechism puts it this way. This petition says that the gospel may be preached in all the world and believed and obeyed at its very simplistic form. Our Baptist Catechism has a little longer answer. says, in this second petition, which is thy kingdom come, we pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace may be advanced ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it, and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. John Calvin on this text says, quote, By this prayer we ask that he, God, may remove all hindrances and bring all men under his dominion and may lead them to meditate on the heavenly life. When we pray, Your kingdom come, Uh, we first acknowledge that there is, in fact, a king. And there is, in fact, a kingdom. God is the king. Amen. Anybody else believe that? Uh, God is not only the king of heaven, but the Bible declares that he is the great king of all the earth. Psalm 47, verse 7. For God is the king of all the earth. Verse 8 says, God reigns over the nations. God sits on 
his holy throne. So God is king of heaven. God is king of earth. When you have a king, the king has a dominion, right? There is a, there is a sphere in which that king rules to say that that's the king. Well, God's kingdom is the universe, my friends. God's king is anywhere and everywhere. Uh, Colossians makes this very clear that uh, whether it's thrones, dominions, or rulers or authorities, he is over all. There's not one molecule, as R.C. Sproul used to say, there's not one maverick molecule outside the sovereignty of God. There's not one area, one molecule in the entire universe, whether it's in the spiritual realm, in the physical realm, on earth, in heaven, there's not one area that is not under the rule, dominion, and kingship of God. Now, more specifically, Jesus Christ is the king. Jesus Christ is that king. When Jesus came the first time, he inaugurated his kingdom at his first coming. Uh, this is declared throughout all of the Gospels. It was declared by the frontrunner, John the Baptist. In Matthew 3.10, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is here. The verb is at hand means to approach, to come near, to draw near. And here's what's really key in this text and many others. It's in the indicative mood which means it's being stated as a fact. And it's in the perfect tense, which means it's happened at one time, it's complete, it's not to be happening again or needed again in the future. When Christ was on the cross and he said to Telestai, it is finished, that word in the original language was in the perfect tense. It happened one time, it was done. When John the Baptist declared, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That word at hand is in that same perfect tense. That means it's here. The kingdom of heaven is here. Matthew 4.17 says the same thing. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus says the same thing. When he commissioned his disciples in Matthew 10, verse 7, he says, And as you go preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the same verbiage. When he commissioned the 70 in Matthew 10, verse 7, he says, as you go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is what? At hand. That was the message. Mark 1, 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Luke 10, verse 9, when he commissioned uh, the 70, excuse me, now when he commissioned the 70, he said, heal those who are sick, say to them, the kingdom of God has come near. He repeats it in verse 11. Luke 9, 2 says the same thing. When Jesus sent out his 12, he sent out to proclaim the kingdom of God. That's what he commissioned them. He says, sent them out and proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. Turn to Matthew chapter 6 with me. I'm sorry, we're in Matthew 6. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. Jesus here uh, heals the demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And you remember what the Pharisees did? They attributed his healing 
uh, to that of Beelzebub. So Matthew 12, verse 24, But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Now look what Jesus says in response to in verse 28. He says, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? Jesus is saying, and it's in Luke in a parallel passage, uh, Jesus is saying, since I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, or Luke says the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God is here. And Jesus' first coming, he came to establish and inaugurate his kingdom. And then in verse 29, Jesus makes the point, how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man? Well, who's the strong man? The strong man is Satan, the enemy. Jesus is making the point that he came to bind Satan so that he can carry out the plunder of his house. And that's salvation. That's to win souls. And he says, and then he can plunder his house. Since we're in Matthew, look back at chapter 4, verse 23. It says, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel. That means good news. The gospel of what? The good news of the what? What's your Bible say? Of the kingdom. He was going out and preaching the good news of the kingdom, friends, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. He was coming to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. This is again in Matthew chapter 9. You don't have to flip there. But verse 35, it says, Jesus was going throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 24, 14. Again, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. The good news of the kingdom. The good news of Jesus coming to establish his kingdom on earth. Luke 16, 16 says the law and the prophets, this is Jesus speaking, the law and prophets were proclaimed until John. So law and prophets were proclaimed until John the Baptist, right? Since that time, the gospel of the what? It says the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. Even Paul in Acts chapter 20, when he was speaking to the elders at Ephesus, He says in verse 25, And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom. He went about preaching the kingdom. He says, you will no longer see my face. So we have a king. His name is Jesus. Uh, We have a kingdom. What dominion does this king have? He's the king of heaven, but he's also king of earth. And in his first coming, he came to establish his kingdom on earth earth and not only has christ established his kingdom at his first coming he will uh, he will continue 
slowly but surely, to grow his kingdom until it spreads across the entire world. And isn't that what we're seeing? Uh, If you look at how many Christians there were 2,000 years ago, uh, compared to how many Christians there are today, don't you see the growth of Christianity? Don't you see uh, Christianity being uh, like the parable of uh, the mustard seed starting out small and and growing uh, until it's large? And, And the parable of the leaven, Uh, where a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. Don't you see the widespread growth of Christianity? There's been ups and downs. There have been all of that. But if you look at a linear graph over the last 2,000 years, you see Christ's kingdom and his church increasing slowly, but to be sure, steady. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9 with me. Isaiah chapter 9. So Christ came. He established his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is here. Uh, The kingdom of heaven is now. The kingdom of heaven is established by Christ. This prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, it's read all the time around Christmas time, right? Uh, We're going to read it here in August. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of peace. This is the prophecy of the coming Messiah who would be born, who would be God in the flesh. Now look at verse 7. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. What's it say? There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness when? From then on and forevermore. From when on? From then on. When the child comes and the government shall rest upon his shoulder, there will be no end to the increase of his government. There will be no end to the increase of his kingdom. Now let's go back to Matthew. I alluded to it before, but Matthew chapter 13 Jesus gives these two parables, Matthew 13, verse 31. And he presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is the smaller of all the other seeds, but when it was full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches." which is alluding to an Old Testament passage speaking about the engrafting of the Gentiles. The, the gospel, the kingdom of God, is like the mustard seed. It starts out small. It started out with 12 disciples. But it grows until it becomes the largest in the garden to where it's engulfed in all of the Gentiles. And then the parable of the leaven, verse 33. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. So that's how we see the gospel. Isn't that how we've seen the gospel over the last 2,000 years? Uh, That little mustard seed, the 12 disciples, that little leaven, it's permeated the whole world and it continues to grow, is it not? And that's how we ought to look at Christ when he is building his kingdom. So the central idea in both of these parables is that the kingdom of God starts out small as it did, but permeates the entire world with its effects and its influences. 
Now let's go to Matthew chapter 28. The Great Commission. Our resurrected King gives to the church. Starting at verse 16, Matthew 28. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. So some key words I want to show you in this text. First, Jesus says, go therefore in verse 19. Therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? Because Jesus said he has all authority, verse 18. All authority has been given to him both in heaven and where? On earth. He says, because of that, on this basis, because I have all the authority in heaven and on earth, go therefore on this basis, go therefore and make disciples. And he says, make disciples of what? The Bible says to make disciples of all nations. This word, ethnos. Ethnos means a people, a nation. It's used even used as Gentiles in some cases. But friends, he says all. That word in the Greek, paz, he says all. He says, go therefore, because I have all of the authority. It may not look like it today, friends. It may not look like Jesus has all the authority on earth. We see the evil prevailing. But he has all authority on earth because he says, I have all authority on earth. And it was even prophesied in Psalm 2 that the Father would tell the Son, ask of me and I will give you the nations as an inheritance. So all, nation, all nations, all authority on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. And because of that, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all ethnos, all ethnos, all nations, all peoples, all, 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 baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Who are we to baptize? Who are we to baptize? You might think, well, the the ones that become disciples, right? People who profess Jesus Christ. Well, yes, but it actually is pointing to the all ethnos, all ethnos. We are to baptize all the nations. We are to baptize, make disciples is a verb there, friends. We are to make disciples. The noun and the subject is the nations, the all ethnos, baptizing them, baptizing all ethnos, baptizing all the peoples, baptizing all the nations, making disciples of all the peoples. And then we are to also teach them in verse 20, all that I have commanded you. We are to teach who? Who are we to teach? All that God commanded. All ethnos. All people. All nations. You follow me? Now let me ask you two questions. Has this happened? Has this happened in the world? Are all ethnos 
disciples of Christ? Are all nations disciples of Christ? Have all nations, have all peoples been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Have all nations been taught and commanded everything that Jesus taught? I see a lot of shaking heads. That's right. It hasn't. Well, let me ask you another question. Will this commission fail? I heard someone say no. Praise the Lord. Amen. Ask yourself that. Will this mission that Jesus gave the church fail? I think too many Christians act like it, it, it will fail. We need to have some soul searching here because do you really think that Jesus would give this great commission to make all peoples disciples of Christ, all ethnos, the spread of the gospel across the whole world? Do you think he would have given this command? Oh, by the way, it's, it's going to fail. I mean, give it your best go at it you know but when times get tough and evil's prevailing just throw in the towel just forget about it wait for the rapture right as some in uh, i think thessalonica were doing right they weren't working they were sitting christ is coming back we're just going to sit around and do nothing but would jesus really give this great commission and it is a great commission would he really give it knowing it would fail too many believers today act or don't act, react or don't react, based upon the newspaper headlines. If you don't know what a newspaper is, okay, it's a printed thing. It's not on a tablet. Uh, and since things are going so bad, obviously this commission's failing and we just, we just not, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to wait for Christ uh, to return. So we have this retreat and defeat mentality, which often, friends, if we're honest, it can be a cloak for apathy and mere Christian laziness. When we pray, thy kingdom come, this is exactly what we're praying for, that all nations would become disciples of Jesus Christ, that all ethnos would bow the knee to Christ, that all ethnos would be commanded the things of God, that they would become disciples that all nations would submit to his rule because that's how it is in heaven. We're praying that God, that your kingdom would come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we pray thy kingdom come, we pray believing that God will actually do what he tells us to pray for, that the gospel would be successful and make all ethnos submit to his kingdom. Now, will there be suffering? Yes. Will there be persecutions? We've seen that, yes. Will there be turmoils? There will be trials, yes. There will be losses, yes. Sufferings, yes. Periods of even intense maltreatment upon believers, yes. That's scripture. We know that that will happen, but here's the difference. Just because there's sufferings, persecutions, trials, it doesn't mean that Christ's great commission will fail. The difference is that these sufferings and persecutions are not unto defeat. These trials and persecutions and sufferings are unto victory. 
And that's what we got to get deep into our souls is that it won't be like this forever. Christ will continue to build his church. And as he said in, in Matthew 16, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want to remind you that the gates of hell are a defensive posture. Okay? It's a defensive posture. And Christ's church is on the offense. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And here's the thing. The weapon being used to plunder the enemy's house, as Jesus says, the weapon that's being used to disciple the nations is not by force. It's not by political motivation. It's with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of the kingdom will continue to grow until all ethnos are discipled, until the whole great commission is fulfilled. The gospel will continue to advance, I believe, until the whole earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea, Habakkuk 2.14. The gospel of the kingdom will continue to grow until all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, Psalm 22.27, and that all families of the nations will worship before you. The gospel of the kingdom will continue to grow, as Paul says, in 1 Corinthians 15, 25, where he said he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. Or Psalm 86, 9, where it says, All nations whom you have made shall come before you and worship you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. These are great promises that these things will happen on earth as it is in heaven. And brothers and sisters, this should be a great encouragement to you to look past our evil day to see that God is actually doing something God is actually building his church and the gates will not prevail against it we don't know what God has in store for the future you know perhaps God is allowing what's happened in our culture so that he could purify his church before he truly starts to advance it and make ground with uh, against the enemy we cannot be drawn into this retreat and defeat mentality. I mean, do you really believe that God's not powerful enough to bring about great revivals across our world? Do you think God is powerful enough to do that? Where's your faith? Think about Nineveh. The city of Nineveh. About a half a million people lived in Nineveh. And God saw that it was steeped in wickedness. And God brought about one of the greatest revivals in history to a people, listen, to a people who had no godly influence. They had no Christians, no God-fearing Jews in Nineveh. And God brought about one of the greatest revivals in the history. And you know what? At least Jonah had the faith that God could relent and bring about revival. You understand? Jonah believed that God would bring revival upon Nineveh. That's why he didn't go to Nineveh. That's why he went to Tarshish. That's why he went the other way. Remember what he said to God? God, I know you're a merciful God, relenting. I knew that you would show mercy to these people who I hate because they're not Jewish. Jonah had the faith that I think you and I lack. We see America, we see our culture so steeped in idolatry, in sexual promiscuity, in uh, 
abominations I can't even name up here. And we have so many Christians in our society. Nineveh had none of that. And God used one man who didn't want to see them saved, proclaim the good news, or the bad news, so to speak, throughout Nineveh, and God used that to change the whole city of Nineveh. And it permeated and it affected the whole city all the way up to the king. You remember the king even heard the message? He repented. He called a fast that nobody would eat, not even the animals. They would fast, hoping and praying, repenting that God would relent. Where is our faith, brothers and sisters? Where is our faith? See, the kingdom of God came upon Nineveh as it was in heaven. And that's what we pray for when we pray Thy kingdom come. We are praying that God would make as it is in heaven here on earth. Maybe God will relent upon our culture. We deserve judgment, but so did Nineveh. So did Nineveh. We need to have more faith that God can and perhaps he will relent his judgment upon our culture, upon your posterity, upon your grandkids and your great-grandkids. Perhaps he will do that. So this is what we pray for when we pray, thy kingdom come, that we would see the physical manifestation of Christ's rule and reign upon heaven here on earth. But Mark, didn't Jesus say, my kingdom is not of this world? We know that. He said that to Pilate, right? Okay, we hear that used oftentimes from Christians who want to do nothing in the gospel advancement of the kingdom. Okay, there's a pietistic idea that, well, I'm just going to stay in my Christianity, in my home, and, you know, Jesus' kingdom, he said, it's not of this world. But he wasn't speaking about what we think uh, on the onset. Remember, he was talking to uh, Pilate uh, about being a, a physical king, and the kings back then ruled by, by force and by political power. That was the means of this world. So when Jesus was saying, my kingdom is not of this world, if it was, my people would fight. His kingdom was not of this world's type, which is political, which is force and power. That is not Christ's kingdom. The mechanism to grow his kingdom is not by force. It will not be my military power. His kingdom advancing will not be by political force. It will be the advancement and the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the power unto God and salvation. That is the mechanism that Christ is using to conquer his enemies is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not of this world. It's not political in nature. It's not military in nature. So I want to ask you today, brothers and sisters, is it your desire, is it your heart's desire that our nation, our state, our city, our ethnos, be made disciples of Christ? Is it your heart's desire that real spiritual awakening and revival would sweep across our land? Or are you like Jonah and you desire to see God's judgment upon our ethnos? Perhaps God is relenting his judgments until we believers stop running away like Jonah and begin purposefully praying for revival and taking real steps to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what Jonathan Edwards was attempting to do in his work called Humble Attempt, which seemed to have failed 
at the time. Little did he know that his work would have a profound worldwide impact for spiritual awakenings. You see, little did he know that 26 years after his death, an English Reformed Baptist pastor named John Sutcliffe received some books from a pastor friend in Scotland. And Edward's book, uh, Humble Attempt, was included. And he was so stirred, Sutcliffe, John Sutcliffe was so moved by Edward's work that he began to recirculate his work among his Baptist pastor friends. And Baptist ministers began heeding Edward's call, and they formed an agreement of prayer for revival across the world. And they met the first Monday of each month. And among his closest friends that helped him with the work were Andrew Fuller, John Ryland, and William Carey. These three men later founded the Baptist Missionary Society. And William Carey would become known and is known as the father of modern missions. Similar events happened in America. Both congregational pastors and Baptist pastors here in America uh, found Edwards' work, were moved by it, republished it and circulated it, and committed themselves to regular prayer for revival. And it was because of their view that Christ was advancing the kingdom unto victory that fueled their zeal to pray for revival. When these men prayed, thy kingdom come, they believed it was God's will to see all ethnos become disciples of Christ. William Carey once said, quote, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Is that your heart's desire? I pray that it is. If it's not, repent with me and make it your heart's desire to expect Christ to build his church, to continue to build it, to continue to advance the gospel, to continue to advance his kingdom until all enemies are put under his feet. So to conclude, I want to bring this home. Literally, I want to bring this home. To make disciples of all ethnos, to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, starts with you. It starts in your home, not out there. Has God's kingdom come to your home? I read Psalm twenty-two, twenty-seven earlier. It says, families of all the nations will worship you. Families of all the nations will worship God. Is Christ sovereign and central in your home? Has Christ's rule and reign come to your family? Do you bow the knee to Christ and his word? With salvation comes a heart that submits to Christ in his word. We are slaves to him. So it first starts with us. Has his kingdom come to you? Has his kingdom come to your heart, children? Has Christ's kingdom changed your heart to where now you're not your own king, but Christ is your king and you seek to obey him and you seek for him to be the ruler over you and not your own heart and your own mind it first starts with us it first starts in your home next is christ king of your area of your city of your neighborhood what are you doing to advance the kingdom of god 
in your area or those around you, those in your sphere of influence? Is Christ king of your neighborhood, your area? That's where you start. You don't start and say, no, I want to take Christ to India. I want to take Christ to China. There's plenty of people in America. There's plenty of people in your backyard. There's plenty of people at work that need the good news of Jesus Christ. So it starts with you. It starts with those around you. Next, has Christ's kingdom come to our city? We're right here in Rock Hill. It's my desire that Rock Hill be so impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ that it's undeniable that Rock Hill is a city that submits to the rule and reign of Christ. That the ethnos, the people of Rock Hill, are disciples of Jesus Christ. That is my heart's desire, and I pray that that is your heart's desire. If you don't live wherever you do live, may it be your heart's desire that you do with whatever context of life God puts you, starting with yourself, your neighbors, your coworkers, those around you, that you would make Christ's kingdom a reality on earth as it is in heaven. Do you pray for his kingdom to come? Jesus instructs us to make this a priority in our prayers. As it's not only the second petition, as Jonathan Edwards says, it's also the last. It's also part of the doxology. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you have not been purposeful, friends, in praying for his kingdom to come, if you've not been purposeful for praying for God to bring about real revival across our homes, our families, our neighborhoods, our cities, our state, our country, the world, if you've not been purposeful in that, would you repent with me? And would you join with me in repentance and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Let's forsake being pietistic, meaning so in, in our own world that we're not following Christ to bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And I truly believe that if Christ's people would heed the call of Jonathan Edwards and make a purposeful attempt to meet together, to fervently pray, first for revival in your home, second, revival in your area, third, revival in our city, and then state, and so on and so forth. I believe God is raising up other men and women in other parts of the country to do the same exact thing. So we expect great things from God, we pray for great things from God, and then we attempt great things from God. And His grace is sufficient For all of our failures, when we stumble and we fail, Christ will be there. But friends, let's come to Christ in repentance and let's seek that his kingdom uh, would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, you, Lord, you alone are worthy, God, worthy to be worshiped and praised. God, your name is high above all nations. Your throne is above the heavens. Lord, there's none like you. None can be compared to you, Lord. Uh, You're absolutely holy and righteous. Uh, God, you're loving and merciful, and we are so unworthy to be called your sons and daughters, Lord. God, we do pray and and we ask that you would make our heart 
have such a zeal and desire for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Father, I pray that you would help us to expect great things from you and attempt great things for you, for the sake of the gospel. Father, help us to look past our evil age. Lord, help us to look past the day that we see it's going and getting worse and worse and worse, Lord. God, but help us, Lord, to look past all that, and Lord, and to seek and pray for great revivals, God, to break out all across this land, all across the world. God, we pray that revival would come to our home first and foremost, Lord. God, we pray that you would use ordinary men and women like us, God, to, to bring the good news of the kingdom to those around us, that we would not shrink away, that we would not fear uh, what men could do or say to us or about us. God, but that we would, with confidence and love, Lord, share the good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ to those around us here in our city, in our neighborhoods in our families. Father, that your name would be glorified. We thank you, Lord. Help us to have more faith, God, that you can bring about great revival, God, that you do change hearts by your grace, Lord. But we also see, God, but that these revivals, they start with your people praying for them. Father, forgive me for being so apathetic in the past and not praying and believing for great revival uh, in our nation, in our state, in our country. We thank you, Lord. We give you all praise and all honor, God. May this, may this continue with us throughout this week, months, years to come, Lord, that we would not shrink back from praying, God, but we would pray for the laborers because as you said, Jesus, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful, you said, Lord. I pray now, God, for laborers. I pray you would make us all here that are listening, laborers, God, to go out and plead with those to come feast with you. We thank you and give you praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.